couple of other things just to remind you of if you're new or relatively new. We have a welcome supper here on Monday the 19th of September. We'd love to invite you for a meal, tell you a little bit more about the church and what we get up to. Please do uh, just come into the welcome area and get an invitation to that so that we can know how many to cater for. And uh, there's also uh, tickets on sale for the barn dance this evening if you'd like to buy those. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 10 this evening. And we can look at this passage together, Luke chapter 10. If you haven't got a Bible, go grab one from the back. And let's work, this, work through this together. I'm going to read it to us to start with. The story, Luke chapter 10, verse 30, the story, verse 25, we're starting out, the story of the Good Samaritan. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, The Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. If his bills run higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Probably of all the parables that there are, this is the one that's weaved its way into our consciousness as a society. We talk about being a good Samaritan, don't we? You can, if you're in trouble, there's always a, a listening ear. You can phone the Samaritans. Um, But the parable goes a bit further than listening to people's troubles. The parable actually speaks more than just helping your neighbor. And the beginning of the parable, where Jesus is interacting with a lawyer, is really important. Let me just set it in its context. Luke is writing in a small section in his gospel here. He's focused on discipleship. He wants to talk about relationships at three different 
levels um, when talking about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so he begins here with this relationship with our neighbor. That's the first relationship he talks about. Verses 38 to 42, he goes on and talks about the importance of our relationship with Jesus. And then at the beginning of chapter 11, we get to the Lord's Prayer and he talks about the relationship with God in prayer. And Luke brings out that these relationships are absolutely key to our lives uh, in, in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that there is a connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Our horizontal and vertical relationships. So what goes on with God has also got to go on with our neighbours. What goes on with our neighbours affects our own personal relationship with God. There's a relationship between the God that we worship and our relationship with those around us, how we interact with those around us. And what I love about Jesus' teaching is it's, his teaching is always down to earth. It's never highfalutin and, and unapproachable. He's always reduces it down to the minimum. There's always a significant point to it that we can apply to our lives. And here he's dealing with real life issues. Uh, So often people talk or think in the abstract on the land of theory, but Jesus simply deals with the practice. How are you going to live this out? How is this going to change your life? So how does this begin? Just to set the context. The lawyer is coming to ask Jesus about eternal life. One day an expert of the religious law stood up to test Jesus, asking him this question, Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? He wants to ensure that he receives the blessings of eternity, if blessings are there to be received. Whatever future blessings come, he wants to know that he's right in line for the best of them. I'll I'll obey everything I need to do. I'll tick every box I need to tick just to ensure that I can get the best that I can get. And Jesus doesn't answer his question, but responds with a question of his own. He says, well, what does the law say? The law replies, part of the law from Deuteronomy and part of it from Leviticus, from Deuteronomy. He says this, he says, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your your strength. And then from Leviticus, he says, and you've got to love your neighbor as yourself combination known as the Great Commandment, uh, uh, something that families would have recited as part of their liturgy, uh, almost on a daily basis. And Jesus commends him, saying, you've got it right. Uh, 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 And that if he meets all of those, then all will be well. But the man wants to justify himself. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? This is his fatal question. This is why the parable of the Good Samaritan is written. And it's written because he asks that question, but one has to ask, why does he ask that question? Where's that question coming from? Why does he say, well, who is my neighbor? Because isn't it it obvious? I mean, isn't it obvious that everybody's your neighbor? Not to him. And not to many of those who were listening to Jesus at that time. He wanted to uh, have a very specific 
answer because he wants to limit the scope of who his neighbor is. There's a cultural background here. The ancient Jewish book of wisdom, the Sirach, chapters 12, 1 to 4, tells its readers, you're not to help sinners. You don't engage with people who are not part of our group. You separate yourselves out. You become this clique. And uh, uh, there's a, they create a distinction. So the lawyer's question is really an attempt to create this distinction, a distinction arguing that some people are neighbors and some people are not. So Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? Who do I have to help to tick the box? And who can I just walk past? Knowing that walking past, I'm not doing anything uh, wrong. The suggesting that some people are not neighbors is why Jesus then responds with this story. And he picks on a Samaritan because they would not have been classed as neighbors to his audience at the time. Um, This was a person who didn't share their faith. This was a person who wasn't part of the elect. This was a person who was an enemy of the Jewish community. This was a person who would have been excluded from any circle of friends that they had. He wouldn't have mixed with any of the Jews. This is what makes the story so shocking to the listeners. And of course, today it doesn't have that same shocking feel. It's like we all know the story of the Good Samaritan. It's about helping your neighbor. But actually it's about defining who our neighbor is and putting it into practice. If Jesus were telling that story today, um, uh, he would tell it in a very different way. Let me just set the context. If you, uh, the the road that they go down from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho was a very dangerous road. It was known as the Blood Road. It was 17 miles long. Uh, It dropped in height, 1,500 meters, and uh, uh, it was a place where muggings and deaths occurred with great frequency. People were killed there often, and uh, uh, we can deal with some of those issues a bit later on. So if he told the story today, Jesus might say, there was a Christian that went from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he went by, uh, some uh, thieves came out, and they mugged him, and they beat him up, and they left him for dead. But it just so happened that half an hour later, a Christian pastor came along. And the man opened one eye that he could and thought, help is on the way. But the Christian pastor went by on the other side. And, and just after him came a young adult pastor. And the young man who was lying on the road thought, at last, he won't mind. But he stuck his nose in the air and he walked on by the other side. And then, about half an hour later, a Muslim terrorist came along the road. And he stopped, and he took off his own shirt, and he bandaged the wounds of the Christian. And he looked after him, and he took him to the next village and cared for him. That's the level of shock that the listeners at the time would have been hearing. That's the hatred they'd have had. This this person wouldn't help, surely. This person is against us. And Jesus says, no, no, it it doesn't work like that. So this man falls among 
robbers and thieves take advantage of him and strip him of his clothing and beat him and rob him and he's left for death, dead and cast off at the side of the road. Two opportunities we know come along, a priest comes along. Every time I read this story I think, why did he choose a priest? Couldn't he have chosen somebody else? But it's always a challenge, isn't it, when it's like, you know, your name's there. priest comes along and walks past. Uh, and then after him comes a Levite. He comes along. And, and if he hadn't helped, the man would have thought, well, at least the Levite would help. But he didn't help. He walked past as well. Now, lots of people have spoken on this. and They talk about the fact that, you know, the priest and the Levite might have had some justification for walking past. Um, they were especially concerned about being ceremonial, ceremonially clean. Uh, the law stated in Leviticus 21 that the high priest um, must not enter a place where there is a dead body. They must not make themselves unclean even for their father or mother. So they'd have absolutely nothing to do uh, with a dead body. There's a commitment uh, in his life. Uh, not to go anywhere near someone who's dead. Even a regular priest would have been defiled if he touched something unclean like a corpse. And Leviticus 22 and Ezekiel 24 talk about that. But there are lots of other scriptures as well. The law is pretty clear about helping those in need, whether it be man or, or animal, friend or foe. Exodus 23 verse 4 reads this, If you come across your enemies ox or a donkey that strayed away, take it back to its owner. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you struggling under a heavy load, do not walk by, but stop and offer help. Do not twist justice against people simply because they're poor. Proverbs 25 reads this, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And of course, the, the, the verse quoted by um, the lawyer. We've got to love our neighbours as ourselves. And then Leviticus 19, never seek revenge or bear grudge against anybody, but love your neighbour. I am the Lord, you must obey these laws. So placing religious purity uh, uh, over helping a person who was possibly still al alive was wrong whichever way you look at it. Uh, so we know that the priests and the Levite in this story had no justification for walking past in the way that they did. And it's at this point that Jesus' listeners would have been expecting him to talk about the Jewish neighbor who came along, but he doesn't. This is where he introduces the Samaritan. And it says this in verse 33, then the despised Samaritan came along. The despised Samaritan. Jesus reminds them of their hatred. Why so despised? The Samaritans were particularly hated in Jesus' day. They lived in an area south of Galilee, north of Judea, part of the old northern kingdom of Israel. And the story that goes says that sometime between 6 and 9 AD, during a Passover, some Samaritans had deliberately scattered bones in the Jerusalem temple in order to desecrate it. Already they were enemies, but now they had... Um, abused the holy of holies of the people of God. And um, uh, now there was absolute outrage and hatred for them and they didn't associate with one another. 
And so Jesus brings in this person to this Jewish lawyer and this audience that are listening and says, and the person you hate most, the person you hold against you, he's the one, he's the one who stops. And they'd have heard that as a real cutting remark against them. But the Samaritan doesn't move over to the other side. He sees the wounded man and he takes pity on him. He bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine, perhaps tearing strips of cloth from his own headgear or garment to bandage him. And then he puts the man on his own donkey and takes him to an inn and personally cares for him that night. The next day he takes out two silver coins and asks the innkeeper to continue to look after him until he returns. Um, and he says, if, I, if, if uh, it costs any more, I'll reimburse you when I come back. It seems that Samaritan must have been some sort of merchant. He was probably someone who took that road many times. I wonder in this story how many times a Samaritan would do uh, just that. And uh, it seems that maybe he stopped at the inn, this inn, on a fairly regular basis. But whatever the case, he trusted the innkeeper with money and the innkeeper trusted him to pay his debt if there was any more uh, to pay. And Jesus asks the lawyer, so he says, so which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Now, now remember the context. The lawyer is trying to define his area of ministry. He's saying, I don't need to help everybody. I, I don't, I don't have, a, have to have a heart for everybody. I, I don't, there are some people who are just not my neighbor, just Remind me of that, Jesus, that I don't have to be there for all people at all the time. And the man replies, when Jesus asks him, who's the neighbor? And the man replies, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even use the name Samaritan, it seems. He should have said, well, the Samaritan was. He was the one, but he said, oh, just the, the one who showed him mercy. The lawyer began this story by asking for a definition of neighbor in order to justify limiting his love to his fellow Jews only. Jesus doesn't define neighbor in so many words, but makes this story, but this story makes it clear that our neighbors are whoever is in need. It doesn't matter who they are, Jesus' command to us shows no limits when it comes to our neighbors. And Jesus says, then go and do likewise. So where does that leave us? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for that lawyer? Well, uh, I think the passage says a couple of things to us. It says, first, this lawyer is saying, you can't just come and worship God and try and tick the boxes. There's something about a heart relationship here. There's something about embracing something of the... Uh, relationship with God that says there's a, a world out there that needs loving. Jesus lived it in his own life, didn't he? He reached out to those who are on the edges of society. That's where the change happened. He reached out to the outcasts. He reached out to those who were broken. He reached out to those who needed a friend and he included them. What we do demonstrates our faith. James says, doesn't he? He says, show me your, your faith by what you do. You, can, you can't separate those two out. And uh, Jesus' ministry didn't separate them out either. 
We've got to care for the broken and the needy. We've got to reach out to those who are struggling. We've got to pick up those who are down. We've got to walk with the wounded. We've got to include the excluded. The thing is that like this lawyer, sometimes we look out and we think the problem's vast. The the problem's so big, what, what do we do about it? How do we begin to make a dent in it? How do we begin to do something about it? Well, uh, uh, Jackie Pullinger, who has got this incredible ministry in Hong Kong, she said this a few years ago at a conference I was at with her. She said that um, uh, you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. And by everybody doing something, an awful lot gets done. But by people being paralyzed by the size of the problem, nothing gets done. And, and you know, what was so powerful about that was that she went and the vast problem of um, addicts in Hong Kong and the community in which she went to minister was colossal. And she went in ill-equipped, uh, untrained, to go and deal with this massive problem. And the legacy of her ministry is fantastic. The lives that she has seen change. So we're to do something. And it seems to me that uh, sometimes people with needs will come across our path and other times we can put ourselves in their way and come across their paths. Maybe you pass someone who's hungry. Maybe there's an elderly neighbor who needs a visit. Maybe there's a single mum who needs a sitter. Or there's an untended garden that needs a hedge cut. Those things that are just around us, uh, where people come across our paths in the everyday things of life, but also where our paths cross needs, so where we can step in and help those with needs. Uh, The Ministry of Besom. Uh, helping people in our community, or choices, helping those who are pregnant, or the soup kitchen, those who are homeless where there's food. There's lots of opportunities where we can put ourselves in the way of those who need help. And in so doing, we can bring something of the light of Christ. And, And I know that actually, when you do something like that, it feels so good. You do it because there's a need and you come away thinking, well, I don't know, but I think I got more out of that than those who didn't have food and were given food. I came away in some way feeling richer and warmer and better for it because I helped those in need today. Let's be not like the lawyer who's more concerned with ticking the boxes and get to heaven, but let's be like Jesus who was very concerned of bringing heaven to earth and doing it in a very practical way. So we can't just come to worship. It's got to be shown in practice. Secondly, it's going to cost us. The Samaritan here, it cost him. He had to stop. Maybe it cost him his clothes. Maybe he had to rip some of his clothes up to make bandages. It cost him a walk to the inn. I don't know uh, how far that was and how far along the road he was. Um, uh, It cost him when he looked after the person at the inn. He wouldn't necessarily have expected anything to come back from that. You know, the generosity 
Jesus' generosity in his life, he always had time for people. He always made space for people. It seems that he always allowed for people. It will cost. But in costing us, it's about seeing something of the kingdom come. And not only will it cost, but it's also our calling. It says this in Micah chapter 6. It says, O people, the Lord has already told you what is good, and this is what he requires to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires of us. He requires of us to be people of mercy. He requires of us to be people who will reach out and help. He requires of us that we would extend a hand of generosity to others. And just earlier in Luke, before he got to this, and maybe this lawyer wasn't there when Jesus was giving this sermon. But at the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, But if you're willing to listen, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for the happiness of those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give what you have to anyone who asks you for it. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do for others as you would like them to do for you. He says, love your enemies. And here he challenges this young lawyer who asks, who's my neighbor? I just want to check the boxes. I just want to do the irreducible minimum. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is vast. And your neighbor is anybody who's in need. Just do something. And in doing something, the kingdom of God will come. We're going to, um, we're going to have communion in a second. But just before we do, let's stand together, shall we? <coughs> And 